0: you My friends who listen to Future Primitive, Joanna Harcourt-Smith here once again, delighted to be with Dr. Sharon Blackie. Sharon Blackie's work sits at the interface of psychology, myth, and ecology. She holds a PhD in behavioral neuroscience from the University of London and an M.A. in creative writing, and she is completing an M.A. in Celtic Studies at the University of Wales, Trinity St. David. She is the founder of Earthline magazine and the author of The Long, Delirious, Burning Blue. Her most recent book, If Women Rose Rooted, is a non-fiction work about Celtic women in the myth and contemporary life. In early 2017, she founded The Hedge School, both an online space and physical location in Connemara, Ireland, for teaching in myth, wild mind and enchantment. Sharon lives in Connemara Island, And she's joining us from there. At this moment, I'm holding in my hands her latest book called The Enchanted Life, Unlocking the Magic of Every Day. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you for being with us.
1: Hello, Joanna. Um, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Good. So... What I'd like to start with is you speak to us about falling in love again with where we are and who we are. Could you talk to us about this possibility of now falling in love with our essence?
1: Yes, indeed. Um, That is um, a quote, I guess, or a sort of quote from my latest book, The Enchanted Life, where I said that enchantment to me or or to live an enchanted life is very much about um, having a very deep sense of belonging to the world and about falling in love with it all over again, because I think today we have forgotten uh, who we are. We have forgotten that we belong very profoundly to this beautiful animate earth. And I think many people are looking for a way back to that sense of belonging, back to that sense of of really being a part of, of the world around us. So... Falling in love with the world all over again is is a, a kind of an attitude which teaches us how to approach the world in the everyday, and uh, that is very much what what the enchanted life is about.
0: You speak about turning ourselves inside out, that so we can change, because obviously. The way we are living now in connection with our planet is um, is not life-giving. You say that we need to turn ourselves inside out.
1: In that context, yes, in, yes. indeed. I, I see what you're asking me now. I again, um what i'm what I'm suggesting in the Enchanted Life is that people look at every aspect of their lives, literally every aspect of their lives, every choice they make, uh, what they do each day, what they choose to eat, what they choose to how they choose to live, because I think what is required today is a very fundamental uh, revisioning of the way that we approach. world and to me that is what enchantment is about it's not about magical thinking it's not about a kind of add-on to a normal life it's a fundamental change uh, in the way that we approach the world and give ourselves to it really and, and and as i said earlier go back to falling in love with the world
0: all over again you write about your first disenchantment and uh I I think it would be good if you would define disenchantment so then we could start from there to rediscover together what enchantment is.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, to me, disenchantment is actually falling falling out of love in the world uh, with the world. Um, it is it is having forgotten that we are an intrinsic part of life on this planet. Um, after centuries of Western philosophy, particularly that have taught humans to see ourselves as above the rest of the world somehow, as above nature, as above uh, the other creatures that inhabit this world along with us, and that process of of disenchantment clearly is is I believe what has led us to the situation we're in now uh, where we don't seem to care very much that we're destroying the planet. Now clearly many of us care very very deeply but I'm talking about as a species or as a civilization There there is something in humanity at the moment which leads us to continue and can continue damaging the planet and that I think is because we have become so thoroughly disenchanted with it we don't understand why it matters anymore we don't understand that it is that we are just as you know as essential a part of life on this planet as, as any other creature uh, and that's really what I'm trying with the enchanted life to overcome to say okay we've reached this stage of disenchantment where we just don't know who we are we don't know what we belong to we don't know what we're here for um, we have no Heart, in a sense, in the way that we approach our life. So, how do we how do we recover from that situation? How do we recover from that state?
0: Well, has this to do with uh, these uh, patriarchal philosophies that uh, came to us from Aristotle and much later Descartes? I mean. Do we need to deprogram from this patriarchal conditioning
1: Indeed, I mean, I you know you can call it patriarchal, but I think in I think in one sense it is just a product of of, of Western philosophy. I mean, it began with Plato, probably earlier than that, but um, but Plato is kind of like very famous for uh, for having uh, suggested that humans are above uh, all other creatures on the planet, and that intellect uh, and reason is more important than anything else in the world. And of course, Plato suggested um, that intellect was a function predominantly. It was was a a masculine function uh, and not something that women uh, were particularly possessed of. And so I suppose the the idea of patriarchy has has come from that. But yes, what what then happened uh, during the the so-called Enlightenment, although you could argue it was quite the opposite, and the scientific revolution, is that there was such a, a deep emphasis placed on rationality to the exclusion of all else. And this was seen as a province solely of humans. And therefore the assumption was as a result of that, that we must therefore be superior to the rest of the world and that we can then use it because we're superior to it. We can dominate it. We can use it for our own ends. You know, we have the right to do whatever we want to the planet. And this myth of human superiority as well as separation, the focus on the intellect, the focus on the transcendental in religion, I think is very much what has got us into the mess that we are now.
0: I'm uh, wondering if you could speak to us about shame and has this this disenchantment come from the fact that we have built up a sense of Shame about being human
1: uh, I think that 's a different issue to be honest. I think the disenchantment that i 've talked about is is very much about a sense of superiority and domination um, over the rest of the world, but certainly I think there there is this other problem um as you rightly mentioned that that um, we 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 are many of us who understand what has happened and who don 't know how to. Uh, how to find a way out of it, I think often do have the sense that to to be human um, is therefore a bad thing, and for sure, you know if you look what, at the damage that humans have wreaked on the planet single handedly leading to the mass extinction of, of so many different species and the environmental catastrophes that we, uh, that are man made that we see all around us, you can understand where that sense of shame might come from, but shame is not, not a good emotion to stay in. It's not a very constructive emotion. Um, it is a harmful emotion because what it does is it then leads to despair and a sense of helplessness and a feeling that there is nothing that can be done. Uh, and I don't believe that that is true. I think that we have to acknowledge our part in what has happened to the world, but we have to then put, put the shame to one side and start to this process of actively re-enchanting ourselves, um, of finding better ways to live, on this planet, better ways of being a human being, because we are human beings, we can't do anything about it. So what we really need to focus on is how, how can we be a better human being in a planet that we are on a planet rather than that we are part of.
0: So Sharon, would you speak to us about this place where you are, this part of Ireland and how you live together in the enchantment of the place where you are.
1: Yes, I live in a very wild and um, to some people a very bleak place um, because it's full of rocks and bogs and um, grey mountains it's not most of the area is not particularly lush but those very wild places are the places that resonate most deeply with me and so when I first visited Connemara back in the early 90s I immediately felt a, a profound sense of of being at home there's just something in this landscape with the stormy weather and the wind um, and all of the the water that, that I relate to very very deeply so as I wrote about in my book If Women Rose Rooted, since I first moved to Connemara in the early 90s, I had a a series of um, changes in my life that took me to America, that took me to Scotland, and um, it's taken about 20 years to find my way back to this, to me, what is this heartland um, of Connemara. And I think for me anyway, and for many of us, perhaps not for everybody, but for many of us, that sense of of recognition of belonging to a place is a very deeply grounding thing, and i don 't really believe that unless we can find a way to belong to our places, wherever they may be, you know whether they 're the places we want to live forever or somewhere we 're just passing through i don 't believe that we 're ever fully alive and fully connected to to the world around us, so for me, having found that place it, it everything everything else falls into place, and my focus here is very much on. Uh, I am a writer, so I spend a lot of time writing either at a computer screen or scribbling in a notebook, but I could not do that. I would have literally no inspiration if it wasn't for the fact that every day I am out there talking to crows or communing with a tree or whatever it might be in this very, very beautiful uh, and wild landscape. So to me, it's easy in wild places to feel a deep sense of connection and belonging. Uh, I think it's difficult, more difficult for me in a city, but it can be done. But it's very much about it's very much about seeing every element of this place as something that I can be in relationship with in the same way that I would be in relationship with a human being with a human being uh it's treating it no differently it's attempting to have a conversation with a plant or with a rock it's just uh, yeah it's just seeing myself as an intrinsic part of it and no no different in in, a, in all of the fundamental ways uh, from the other creatures and beings that inhabit it with me
0: how would does the change come about? I mean, were you ever a person who thought that the land belonged to you instead of understanding that we belong to the land or, or the land and us belong to each other? How, how did you come about re, re-understanding that, reintegrating that into your soul? To be honest,
1: I don't think, I, I certainly didn't ever understand uh, the world and my place in it as fully as I do now. But I don't think I ever had that sense of this land belongs to me or this earth belongs to me. And I think a lot of that is because very, from a very, very early age, you know, I read a lot of history uh, when I was a child and I read a lot of uh, women's fiction that was supposed to be too old for me and I think from a very early age I had this sense of of women having been thought of as the possession of men for so many centuries um, of women being dominated and treated as possessions and so it did really to me without knowing that this was a branch of philosophy of course um, of eco-feminist philosophy it did very much seem to me that that women were in the same position as as the earth uh, and as the other animals on the earth. And I had some strange sense of intuitive knowing about that from a very early age. But of course, it wasn't until later in my life um, that that came back as a result of personal circumstances, uh, as a result of the places I found myself and as a result of an awakening to the damage we are inflicting on the planet. So, yeah, I never really had that sense of, of, um, of separation. But nevertheless, having begun my life and my education um, in the arts with a very, very strong focus on literature and history and languages, I then went to university to study psychology. And it was um, precisely because it's so subjective, I guess, it was taught in the most scientific way. Uh, rigorous of methods in the particular place where I studied it. So I think I had some of that sense of, you know, what was very early on, a sense of enchantment kicked out of me um, at university by this very scientistic, I suppose, approach to the world and and, and that, that all of that uh, process of disenchantment that, that we've been talking about earlier
0: on. Why is it that it's Celtic mythology and Celtic tradition that um, reaches you in uh, in in I think the deepest way.
1: Um, I think it's because uh, well I know it's because I find it. it quite distressing i suppose that in this part of the world particularly in in western europe and in the countries that i have lived and grown up whether that be the uk ireland when people begin to understand when people begin to understand that they they are lacking a spiritual tradition and and when christianity fails them which is the religion of course that most of us are brought up in here and when they go looking for something else that is more authentic more earth centered There is a tendency to go looking for, for example, Native American traditions or for Eastern traditions like Buddhism. And I find it a little bit stressing because there is such a a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding that our own Native traditions also show us. A people who were very much living in harmony and in balance with the earth around them. Celtic mythology is very much about uh, being in service to the land. Uh, so to the extent, for example, that there are um, hero myths, the heroes may be swashbuckling warrior types, but they are very much in service to the land. And that is a very clear thread that, that runs through all of the old um, Celtic, certainly all the old Irish literature. So I suppose... The reason why I'm so passionate about Celtic mythology and why I work so hard to bring it to people's attention is to say, look, we don't have to go and appropriate other people's mythologies. We don't have to bring something foreign um, that doesn't come from this place to this place we all we need to do is go and listen to the stories that literally sprang out of this land that is under our feet, uh, and I think that's very important. It's respectful of the stories. It's respectful of the place that we live in. That you know that we try and we try and find these traditions, and I think um, I think it is very important for us these days to have a very strong sense of where we came from because I think we have um, forgotten that. You know, there's a a, a strong sense of of lack of lineage of we don't know what we belong to we don't know who we belong to we just don't really know what we are and why it why any of it matters and uh, to me a lot of the, the the wisdom that is in those old stories which is the wisdom of trees it's a shape shifting wisdom uh, where there is very little barrier between people and animal and and plant often uh, we need to look very very deeply into that for. Um, inspiration for for different ways of being in the world that are are from these
0: countries we belong to. You speak about uh, building a new folk culture. Would you tell us what you mean by that?
1: Yes, to me again, it comes back to this sense of um, understanding our own traditions. Um, I think that the you know some of the old ways, some of the old folk ways, were very much about uh, living in harmony and balance with the land, about understanding the, the plants and animals that are around us, understanding um, the functions of herbs, for example, understand in why it's important to recognize and honor the seasons because they're part of the cyclical nature of life. So this old way of looking at the world, which rightly or wrongly tends to be categorized these days as folk culture, is something that is that is being lost in many Western countries. Um, and and so what we're trying to do at the hedge school is in these lands, um, in these Celtic lands, in Ireland, in Scotland, and also in in um, in Britain, there are still residues of of the old folk ways. You know, we know what our ancestors did. We know some of the festivals and some of the practices that they um, that they followed. And so, to keep those old practices alive in a way that is relevant for contemporary times because we can't go back you know 200 300 400 years life life and the world has moved on it's really very important i think in being able to tie, tie ourselves back to a sense of really belonging to the world to a sense of really living as a, as a part as a part of this planet so folk culture to me is about doing that. It's about, it's about the people's traditions, the people's stories, the people's way of looking at the world as opposed to something which is imposed upon us from the top down by the state, by the church or whatever. It's something that, that springs from the bottom up. It springs out of the land and um, it's, it's one of our ways of connecting ourselves to the places that we live.
0: I think one of our disenchantments is that many of us uh, have lost the sense of home by uh, by migrating if not emigrating at least migrating to places far away from uh, from our um, from where our lineages have have evolved and uh, perhaps uh, re-enchanting is a sense of coming home.
1: Yes, I think, you know, I, I, most of the work that I do in my courses and re- in retreats is about developing this sense of of belonging, of home. And a lot of the people that do my courses, although I'm very much based here in Ireland um, and work with, with Irish and, and British mythology, a lot of the people who do my courses are from North America. Uh, and I think it is precisely because they, the people that, that are drawn to this work of mine are feeling a lack of grounding in any traditions. Of course, not wanting to appropriate Native American cultures and yet not living in Place where their ancestral tradition comes from. So, to me, the challenge is finding a way to combine your ancestral lineage, uh, your ancestral traditions with the place where your feet are actually planted so for example to me belonging has at least two components, you know, belonging is about the feet, the place where your feet are planted you have to learn to belong where you actually live, you have to otherwise you're just not alive but I think that those ancestral traditions from other lands can give a sense of continuity, you know that you weren't just plonked um, on a continent with, without anything as a people dispossessed but actually you brought with you even if they have largely been forgotten a very very rich tradition of stories of mythology of teachings that can help find um, a sense of belonging to the world and those teachings can be transported you know because they're they are about they are about living in harmony with the world and often there's a lot of focus um on you know mm-hmm. Irish um, or Celtic gods and goddesses and you know Bridget or the Cailleach or whatever and mm. uh, you know we can't possibly have them in America because they belong to to Ireland and indeed they do you know all of the deities of of Irish mythology certainly are very much imminent in place. They, they cannot be dispossessed from place. That's that's how Irish mythology works. But nevertheless, there is something about a bridget like character. There is something about the Cailleach, the old woman, which can be found in any place. And so I suppose what I'm teaching is kind of like Celtic mythology is a bridge that you know that you can then bring back to your place to work with to find something which is authentic to To that place where your your feet are planted if if that makes sense
0: can you tell us how some of the people well let's let's begin by speaking about your hedge school. you have opened a school in two thousand and seventeen and uh uh We'd love to hear about it.
1: Yeah, um hedge school is a um an Irish term uh, and it dates back to the days uh sixteen hundreds-ish, um when um the English were forbidding the Irish um to speak their own language and to and forcing them to learn um uh, what children in in English schools, in British schools, might have learned. Um, And really trying to stamp out the old ways, the old stories, the, the old histories, um, of this land, and so um, in protest, uh, the Irish took to took to the hedges, and um, the teachers came from the people, um, and they held kind of impromptu schools in in buildings, in farm buildings, or sometimes outside by a hedge, uh, in order to to make sure that their own native traditions were still passed down and weren't wiped out by by foreign learning. So I loved that idea of all of the best. Stuff coming from the edges, from from the hedges and the edges. Uh, and the idea of a hedge school, which is very much about keeping native traditions alive, as I said, is very much at the center of my own work. So the, that's where the, the name Hedge School came from. When we moved back to Connemara, because I'd left for a few years, uh, a good few years. Uh, uh, about this time last year, uh, we had happened upon a very strange house, um, which happened to have in its in its small grounds um, a renovated renovated wee cottage um, that was not being used for anything. And so I thought, there we go, the perfect premises for for a hedge school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And partly it is a place where people can come to do workshops. We haven't done very much of that yet because we we haven't been here very long. Uh, But also it's a virtual idea. Uh, It's a virtual centre for online courses and online offerings in myth and fairy tale and belonging to place so that, again, people can explore that old folk culture, and think about ways of bringing it into their daily lives today, in in so that we might continue to this work of, of reconnecting ourselves back back to the land and back to our places.
0: So people come from all over the world to um, to imbibe the the mythology. And and the stories that uh, that you give them, and I was wondering. Indeed. Yes, please. No, carry on, Joanna. Sorry. No, I was just wondering um, how people who come to your school take away. A more rooted sense of home, to wherever their physical home is.
1: Yeah, we, as as I mentioned earlier on, um, we have a lot of people from North America. Um, I, when I run my week long. Uh, women's retreats, for example, I'd say that the majority of people, frankly, are from outside these islands. So people have come from Australia, and from Canada, from um, from pretty much all over, from other parts of Europe, from pretty much all over the world, and all of them really looking exactly for that, for this sense of of, of how can they how can they learn how to, how to belong, and and it is very much as I was saying a, a few moments ago about finding ways to to make these old stories which are very much related to this particular country relevant in the places where you live so perhaps I could give one example. Yes please. I, I have done a lot of work investigating, researching a character in Gaelic mythology and Irish and Scottish mythology called the Kaliach, literally the word means old woman and the Kaliach is the creator and shaper of the land Uh, in Irish mythology and Scottish mythology. She's also very much um, a very fierce guardian and protector of the land. Um, So there are lots of... Let the hunters take too many um, hinds, too many pregnant deer, um, and will stop them um, and, you know, say, if you don't, if you leave my hinds alone, I'll let you have a nice stag at the, at the um, appropriate time. So she's quite a fierce protector of the land and a, and a, a character who, who, who keeps it in balance. And to me, this is a very powerful creature. You know, this is exactly the kind of character that we that we need in the world today for women to look up to, for women to be inspired by, because, this, you know, this is from the days where, where the cosmological force of the universe in these countries was female. Uh, and we need to remember that. So the Kaliak, of course, is very much... A creature of Ireland and Scotland. She can't take her out. That, that's what she is. She made and shaped this land. You know, she didn't make and shape any other land. So so to, to take this, you know, so people will say to me, "Well, well, how can I make that relevant to, I don't know, the deserts of New Mexico, for example, mm. since she is so much a creature of high, rocky, wet, windy places like Ireland and Scotland and to me that the if you learn enough about a particular character if you learn enough about a particular archetype in the jungian sense you learn with the essence of that character and you can take the essence of that character with you and then you will you will not find the kaliach in the new mexico deserts but you will find the old woman you know there is always an old woman everywhere in every land if you're looking for her and so i think that that for people who have An ancestral tradition in any of the Celtic lands, understanding the archetypal characters that are available to us, you know, the archetypal characters that for centuries, for millennia, have um, populated our old myths and stories, gives you something very, very concrete in a way that you can then take back to your own place and use it to find your own old woman, your own Bridget, your own warrior, god, goddess, or whatever. And so that's part of Just one small part of of the process as as an example.
0: Could you, for instance, the young woman is a a symbol of fertility and could you tell us more about the, the old woman, how she is a symbol of Creativity, perhaps continuity.
1: Yeah, I think in the um, if if again if we look at the cailleach, who um, is uh, there? There are lots of hags, normally called hags, in Celtic mythology, who serve various functions, and the cailleach uh, is probably the most powerful and important of those. But what they tend to do, for example, in the Grail mythology you know, where the, the knight goes off on a quest looking for the grail in the Arthurian tradition. And everybody thinks, well, not everybody, but a lot of people think, okay, these are, these are heroes' journeys. You know, this is about the knight going off and finding the grail and bringing it back and kind of saving the world and what have you. But what's very interesting in those stories is that the the grail is always in possession of women so the women are the ones who actually possess this thing that everybody is looking for Mm. and very often in those old stories there is a, a character who is called the loathly lady literally a very ugly haggish character who comes out of nowhere very often and basically tells the knight who isn't doing very well how he must do better, and it's not necessarily a scolding function, but it's a challenging function. It's just like you know, you're not doing very well here. You better get on with it. You better you know pull your socks up and and and, and do a better job. You know, why haven't you asked the right question? Why haven't you done that? So, the hag is in the old woman in um, in these stories, as well as the colleague, is very much about an appropriate challenge um, to to other characters. To, to find the right path, to, to be on the right path and to, do, to live well and in balance and harmony with the land. So the Kalyuk particularly is a very fierce character. And I don't mean in an angry kind of sense, but she's not going to be messed with. You know, she's not going to take any nonsense. So she will not permit the hunters to take more than, than she thinks is allowed. And this sense of firmness Without having to be angry, without having to fight or take up weapons, this sense of firmness, of of standing and saying, you may not, you may not do this. I think it's a very, very powerful image for all of us, but particularly for those of us who are entering or in elderhood. You know, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a good elder in, in Celtic female terms? Well, one of the ways it means to be a good elder is to stand firm and just to say, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't go there, you can't do this, or you must do better, this isn't good enough.
0: Perhaps this is a, a time to urgently call on older women to remember what, uh, what the task is.
1: Indeed, uh, indeed, and I, I take a lot of inspiration from those older characters uh, in our in our very wonderful stories, and from the the so-called loathly ladies who who will stand firm, and and uh, that is to me what it's about, isn't it? It's about it's about having the confidence, it's about having the wisdom to know where the balance is, and what should be done, and what is a good way of being in the world, and what is not a good way of being in the world, and and kind of. Hold people accountable and also of course to guide and the loathly lady is very much a guide as well. She as I say, she's not just a scold. She she will set the knight in the Grail Legends back on the right track and say you know, maybe, maybe you need to try this instead. Maybe you need to think about doing that because what you're doing right now really isn't working. So yes, there is a wisdom in the Loathly Lady. There's a standing firm, a refusal to tolerate destruction and taking more than necessary. And all of these are critical ideas, I think, now for, for, for women to take up in a, in a world that still very much needs that sense of, of balance brought back to it.
0: Sharon Blackie, we have to uh, stop this conversation soon. So maybe we could end by you elaborating on this question. What is living well and authentically?
1: Yeah, I think that's a question that preoccupies a lot of us, isn't it? Particularly when we are faced with so much Damage and a planet that is in such dire straits in in so many ways. And it's a difficult one because, you know, we all find that out at different times. So I found that out quite late in my life. I think I was in my early 40s before I really understood the level of damage that had been done. And you know there there are lots of reactions to that. There is grief and there is anger, and these are all perfectly normal reactions to to, to finding the world in that state. And our species is responsible for for most of it. But then once you have kind of. Not left the grief and and anger behind because I don't think that ever happens. In a sense, they're they're good fuels. But once you've got over the the first part of the shock, if you like, that is the big question: how, knowing what we know, how how do we live? And you know, we all have our answers to that. To me, the the critical part of it, whatever we actually choose to do with our lives, the, the critical part of it is is always this this approaching the world in in this state of what I called enchantment which is this vivid sense of belonging to the world a vivid sense of belonging to a very beautiful world and it all starts there it starts with it starts with with examining all of the choices that we make in our lives to say does this choice does this job that I am doing does this object that i'm proposing to buy this that i'm living does it serve the life of this planet or does it only take from it and so a lot of it i think is 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 finding that balance between um, a ba- ba- balanced way of living in the world how much is enough? And I think we've lost, as a generality, in Western culture these days, we've lost a sense of what is enough. We think nothing is enough. We think we must always have more, 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 more of everything. So that's part of it. It's a, it's a being able to stand back and and examine every choice that you make in your life. But it, but it is also a function to me of of looking at the world with with new eyes and and. Rather than just seeing, for example, when you're walking through a wood, a black bird and, you know, in the trees and just moving on as if it's not relevant to you, just stopping and looking and saying, okay, you know, do I know, is that a crow? Is it a raven? Is it a blackbird? What kind of bird is it? And, and just stopping and... And watching its behavior, seeing, you know, saying something to it, speaking to it. The world likes to hear our voice, I think. A crow, if you speak to it, will often say something back. Now, it doesn't matter that you don't know necessarily what what that means. Uh, but it's just a sense of engagement, a sense of relationship. We we blunder through the world very often without really knowing it with, with all of our senses. So I suppose those would be the, the two major prongs of of my approach one to evaluate every choice that you make and say is this is this is this life-serving and the other to, in every moment that that you're alive to be very much aware of all of the other creatures around us all of the other life around us my own feeling particularly as a psychologist is that western culture modern western culture locks us too much inside our own humanness, you know. And so modern psychology for decades now um, has, has told us to turn in on ourselves for the answers. You know, introspection is the way to do it. Examine your dreams, examine your thoughts, just this endless 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 turning inwards and and self-examination whereas I think actually that we would find many of the answers to the afflictions of contemporary times including anxiety and depression we would find many of the answers outside of ourselves because it's the inside of ourselves that's tying us up in knots (laughs) and sometimes we might find a little bit of a chat with a crow that is infinitely more therapeutic than than this constant um, process of introspection
0: thank you so much It's wonderful to listen to you and um, hope we meet again.
1: Thank you, Joanna. I enjoyed talking to you.